Explicit content is found in this episode, so listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone, so you know my love for the Himalaya app and the shows on Himalaya knows no bounds. They have been incredible supporters of True Crime Fan Club and helping me get my name out there with fun little campaigns that I've participated in, like the most recent holiday campaign. I can't wait to see who the winner is since I'm recording this before it ends. But I have two more shows that I want to talk to you about. One of them is from my favorite blogger and author-turned-podcaster, Emily G. So if you love True Crime Fan Club, which you should because you're listening, then I think Morbidology is going to be right up your alley. So Emily G. Thompson uses investigative research combined with primary audio, including 911 calls, interviews, and trial testimony, to take an in-depth look at some of the world's most heinous murders. So if you like the show, make sure to check out their premium channel on Himalaya where you can find all episodes ad-free and 24 hours early, as well as exclusive content and a members-only community group where you can chat with Emily herself, which is pretty awesome. So all you have to do is download the Himalaya app and search for Morbidology, enter promo code MORBID for your first month absolutely free. And trust me, it is so worth it. Her show is fantastic. Now the next show I'm going to tell you about is called West Side Fairy Tales. And I've known about this show, but I haven't really listened until recently. And again, if you like True Crime Fan Club, you're really going to enjoy West Side Fairy Tales. Each week, host Tyler Bell brings you stories like books that kill whomever reads them, strange dolls that bring death wherever they go, and I hate dolls, so I might skip that episode. But the next episode that covers tales from men and women driven to the edge by madness, poverty, and guilt is definitely right up my alley. No matter what your taste is, these tales are guaranteed to stay with you long after you finish listening. So make sure you go to Himalaya to check out their premium channel. You just download the Himalaya app, search Westside Fairy Tales, and enter promo code Westside for your first month absolutely free. And be sure to let Emily and Tyler know that Lainey sent you. Welcome back to the True Crime Fan Club Podcast. I'm your host, Lainey. Most people spend the holidays filled with joy and happiness as they spend time with loved ones. However, Christmas time of 1992 in Dayton, Ohio, would go down in history as the bloodiest murder spree the city had ever seen. Dubbed the Christmas Killings, the murder rampage claimed the lives of six innocent victims while injuring two more. What makes the story more tragic is that the killings, while completely random and senseless, were committed by a 19-year-old named Marvelous Keen and three members of his teenage gang who called themselves the Downtown Posse. Okay, on to the show. December 23, 1992, was a cloudy, chilly day. Marvelous Keen was spending the day with his new girlfriend, 16-year-old Lauren Taylor. Lauren was a high school dropout who had no contact with her parents for the past three weeks. She partied where many of the young people in her neighborhood hung out, which was at Bob McIntyre's apartment on Yuma Avenue in Dayton, Ohio. The apartment was essentially a local crack house. Marvelous was a young man that recently moved to Dayton to live with his mother. He too partied at Bob's apartment, and when he met Lauren, their connection was instant. After that first night, they were inseparable. 
They had only known each other for a couple of weeks when they decided to get a hotel room in downtown Dayton. The couple partied together all day, and when they left the hotel on the evening of December 23rd, they had no money left and nowhere to go, so they decided to walk back to the Yuma Avenue apartment to hang out with some of the other gang members that they were associated with. Their gang was called the Downtown Posse and was mostly made up of teenagers. Bob's apartment was always open to the young gang members and their acquaintances. They had parties, drank, and did drugs. As Marvelous and Lauren walked into the apartment, they were discussing ways they could get some money. Lauren mentioned that she knew a guy that had some money, a nice job, and a few cars. She thought they could rob him. They made their way to Bob's and settled in for the cold night to make their plans. On December 24th, Lauren and Marvelous had their plans set, but they needed a little help. There was another girl that often hung out at Bob's named Heather Matthews. Heather was 20 years old and had gotten out of prison that prior October. She was back on drugs, so she wasn't difficult to convince of their awful plan to rob Lauren's friend, Joseph Wilkerson. It was another chilly, cloudy day as the three made their way to Joseph's home. Once there, Lauren was able to convince Joseph that the group wanted to have an orgy. He didn't take much convincing, so after only one drink, Lauren got up and led him to the bedroom. Marvelous and Heather got up and followed the two into the bedroom, and they all began removing their clothes. Marvelous pulled his pants down, but then quickly pulled them back up and withdrew a gun from his pocket. He made the girls tie Joseph up while he wandered the house, looking for anything valuable that he could steal. He stole a TV, cordless phone, microwave, blow dryer, and a curling iron, and loaded the stolen items into Joseph's car, a Buick. Joseph admitted that he had a 32 caliber Derringer gun in his garage, and Marvelous retrieved it. He came back into the bedroom and placed some blankets over Joseph to muffle the noise, and then shot him. The girls ran back into the room upon hearing the gunshot and saw Joseph on the floor, but he wasn't dead yet. Marvelous told Lauren that she needed to finish the job so he handed her the gun and she shot the fatal bullet that killed him. Joseph Wilkerson was a 34-year-old man that lived alone. He had a good job at GM and many nice possessions, which was reason enough for Marvelous and Lauren to take his life. As a group of three left in the stolen car, the girls were given a strong warning. Keep your mouth shut or else. After they robbed Joseph, taking his Buick as well, the trio drove the stolen items back to the Yuma Avenue apartment, dropped off Heather, and picked up another friend, Demarcus Smith. Marvelous and Lauren continued driving around and Lauren decided they should rob someone else. They didn't get any cash from Joseph, and that was mainly what they were looking for. Lauren had Marvelous stop the car as she posed as a sex worker. She was immediately picked up and hopped inside the stranger's car. They drove a few blocks, then stopped. The guys, Demarcus and Marvelous, were following behind and stopped when the other car stopped. Demarcus jumped out of the car and fired several shots toward it as it sped away. They followed Lauren and the stranger for a little bit, but eventually gave up. DeMarcus got out of the car to keep looking on foot, while Marvelous drove off. The stranger drove to the police station on 3rd Street 
where Lauren got out and the three all made their way separately back to the apartment on Yuma Avenue. The small group decided to take a walk, leaving the stolen car behind. They were still itching for some cash as the last two attempts had so far produced none. Both of the guys had guns on them, so it was only a matter of finding the right victim. They came across 18-year-old Danita Gillette, an innocent young lady who was in the wrong place at the wrong time. She was at a payphone when the boys approached her with their guns pulled. DeMarcus instructed Danita to remove her coat and shoes, and then he shot her, taking her coat and shoes in a final act of pure greed. Danita was a young mother that later died at the hospital. Lauren put on the coat and DeMarcus put on the stolen shoes, and they went back, yet again, to the apartment. There was a party going on when they came in, and Lauren went to Heather Matthews, their earlier accomplice, and told her about shooting Danita at the payphone. Heather's boyfriend, Jeffrey Wright, who was at the apartment earlier, returned to the party just before midnight. When Jeffrey came back in, he grabbed Heather by the hair and threw her into the bedroom. DeMarcus didn't like this since he too had a thing for Heather, so he followed the couple into the bedroom. Jeffrey managed to get away and ran from the apartment with DeMarcus chasing him. DeMarcus shot at him four times, but missed. Jeffrey later testified at the murder trial of Marvelous. Early in the morning on December 25th, Marvelous went back to Joseph Wilkerson's house. He remembered that there were other things he could steal. Plus, there was another car there, a Pontiac, and he wanted it. It wouldn't do to be driving around in the same stolen car. That got Lauren thinking about an ex-boyfriend of hers that had money and a nice car. She contacted this young man, Richmond Maddox, and arranged a meetup, and he picked her up in his Chevy Caprice. They began driving, but Richmond immediately noticed a car that seemed to be following them. He was suspicious, but Lauren said it was just some of her family that was following her to make sure she was safe. He didn't believe her one bit and sped up to get away. Lauren reached into her pocket and pulled out a gun, shooting Richmond in the head. When Richmond's car crashed into a nearby house, Lauren jumped out and ran toward the car waiting with Marvelous and DeMarcus. Richmond Maddox died instantly from the gunshot wound. To recap, up to this point, the gang, led by Marvelous King, has murdered three people. Joseph Wilkerson, Danita Gallette, and Richmond Maddox. They have also attempted at least two other murders against the stranger in the car and Jeffrey Wright. On December 26th, in the very early morning hours, Marvelous, Lauren, Demarcus, and Heather took the stolen Pontiac and began driving around. While they had tragically committed terrible crimes, they still hadn't found the cash they were so desperately seeking. They parked at an ATM. A car approached, but because the parking lot was so dark and the gang's car seemed suspicious, the car drove off. They missed yet another chance for the cash, but that person made an instant life-saving decision by not withdrawing any money. From there, the group drove to a nearby BP gas station, where the guys approached a lone woman, Kathy Henderson, and stole her Dodge Shadow at gunpoint. They drove away with the girls following in the stolen Pontiac. They met back up at a different place this time. They were concerned about the police investigation that they knew was now ongoing, 
so a few other gang members put the group up at their place. The homeowner, Sandra Pinson, later told police she was scared of the group, so she stayed away from them, not getting involved. Her son, Dion, and nephew, Nicholas Woodson, lived with her and belonged to the downtown posse. The original group was still jonesing for some cash. Heather was driving, and she went to the shortstop mini-mart. Lauren went into the store to see if it was busy. She came out and reported that there were only two people inside. DeMarcus had two guns, a 25 caliber automatic pistol, and a 32 caliber revolver that Heather gave him. Marvelous also had a 25 caliber automatic pistol, so they went in locked and loaded and ready for their big payday. The store clerk, Sarah Abraham's family, owned the store. She worked there for a long time and had the terrible misfortune of running the register when Marvelous and DeMarcus approached her. She gave them the money in the register and Marvelous shot her in the head. There was a customer inside the store at the time, along with the helper that worked at the mini-mart from time to time named Jones Pettis. He was shot in the stomach by Marvelous and later testified against him at trial. The customer was 71-year-old Jimmy Thompson. He was a regular there and often stood around chatting. When he saw the horrific scene unfolding around him, he smartly threw himself to the floor and pretended to be dead. Thankfully, he was not even shot and was able to provide eyewitness descriptions and testify later at trial. In fact, when Lauren came into the store just before the massacre, she borrowed a nickel from Jimmy to pay for her items. The group made off with a mere $44 in cash for all of the destruction and mayhem they caused. Sarah Abraham was rushed to the hospital where she remained in critical care for five days before she ultimately succumbed to her injuries. The group left the mini-mart and went to pick up their friend, Nicholas Woodson. They were driving around aimlessly, talking about their crime spree that they had just committed when they came to the realization that an awful lot of people knew what they had all done. The names Wendy Cottrell and Marvin Washington kept coming up. Lauren and Heather felt that Wendy was going to tell on them as she saw a lot of the stolen items they brought to the apartment. The girls talked about jumping Wendy or beating her up. But Wendy's boyfriend Marvin also saw the stolen merchandise and DeMarcus became very agitated and stated he was going to quote, unload a clip in Marvin's ass. The couple were also present during the party where DeMarcus shot at Heather's ex-boyfriend, so DeMarcus made up his mind that they were snitches and needed to be dealt with. Nicholas could see that things were rapidly escalating and he didn't want to be caught in the crossfire, so he made up an excuse and asked to be dropped off at home. To his relief, they obliged and dropped him off before heading over to the Yuma apartment to pick up 16-year-old Wendy Cottrell and 18-year-old Marvin Washington. They drove out to what was known as the gravel pit. It was aptly named this because it was a large pit made of gravel. Marvelous ordered Marvin out of the car while he physically dragged Wendy out. DeMarcus shot Marvin and Marvelous shot Wendy. The bodies were left right there where they were killed. Wendy was pregnant with Marvin's child at the time. The couple were two more innocent victims that were at the wrong place at the wrong time. The gang determined that the couple were snitches and clearly, they had no problem brutally taking human lives. 
I'm going to pause the case right here so you can hear a word from our sponsors. Hey everyone, I want to remind my listeners that the time is running out on Simply Safe's huge holiday offer. It's their biggest sale of the year. So if you're looking to fully protect your home with award-winning 24-7 home security, now is the time to do it. Simply Safe has everything you need to protect your home and family, which is super important, especially around the holidays. You know, burglaries spike during the holiday season. With families traveling and leaving empty homes and expensive gifts behind, Simply Safe's holiday sale couldn't come at a better time. Thanks to Simply Safe, there's a smart lock and video doorbell pro to defend your front door, an army of sensors and cameras that guards every window, door, and room in your home. If there's a break-in, they can give real-time video confirmation to police as it happens, so police respond up to 3.5 times faster. It's no surprise that Simply Safe has won CNET and PC Magazine Editor's Choice Awards. Simply Safe made a holiday offer with my listeners in mind, but it ends December 31st. They rarely do deals this big, so now seriously is your chance. Visit simplysafe.com/tcfcp to find out how much you'll save. And remember, this sale ends December 31st. So don't forget, go today, simplysafe.com slash TCFCP. Again, to recap, as of December 26, 1992, the Gang of Four murdered an additional three people, Sarah Abraham, Wendy Cottrell, and Marvin Washington. They also seriously injured Jones Pettis and terrorized Jeffrey Wright, Kathy Henderson, and Jimmy Thompson. The police were actively investigating the horrific crime spree that was happening during what is typically one of the happiest times of the year. The investigation was intense from the start, and bullets from each crime scene were compared and matched, and they now had a few witnesses from the mini-mart. Police continued interviewing possible witnesses, but luck was on their side when Nicholas Woodson called the police department to offer a tip. He was terrified of the group and didn't want to be the next one to be thought of as a snitch. He thought better to be one with police protection. He immediately got transferred to a detective that knew in his gut the tip was legitimate and they had the murderers in their sights. But they needed to be found right away because as Woodson told them, the group was going to murder again, and possibly soon. On Saturday, December 26, 1992, Sergeant John Huber of the Dayton Police Department was patrolling on his afternoon shift. As he was driving, something caught his eye and he turned back to take another look. When he did, he saw a car that resembled the stolen vehicle from the BP gas station. As he approached and ran the plates, he realized they didn't match the vehicle they were attached to, but rather a nearby Pontiac. It appeared that the plates from the two vehicles were switched. As he watched, the Dodge Shadow took off driving, but stopped a few short blocks away. DeMarcus Smith got out of the car and ran. Sergeant Huber radioed to dispatch that he needed backup, and officers that were close by immediately joined the pursuit. They eventually caught up to the group and the following day, December 27th, they finally located the car and were able to surround it. The three occupants, Lauren Taylor, 
Heather Matthews, and Marvelous Keen exited the vehicle without any further incident. As police were handling the scene, a witness approached the police and indicated that the fourth suspect fled on foot and pointed towards the Pinson house. Police went right to the residence to search, but DeMarcus was already gone. There was stolen merchandise at the house that police collected, and they questioned Sandra Pinson. Police caught up with DeMarcus shortly thereafter and brought him into custody. Three of the four confessed right away to their crimes with one exception. Lauren Taylor demanded her right to an attorney. At first, the group didn't admit to the killings of Wendy Cottrell and Marvin Washington. Later the same day that the gang was arrested, two bodies were located near the gravel pit and identified. They were easily connected to the other crimes and eventually the police received a confession about these murders as well. Prosecutors went right to work and charged each of the Christmas killers, but offered plea deals to DeMarcus, Lauren, and Heather as they were still minors and would testify against the unofficial leader of their gang, Marvelous Keen. Despite their plea agreements, none of these cold-blooded killers will see the light of day. Heather Matthews and Lauren Taylor are both imprisoned at the Ohio Reformatory for Women in Marysville, Ohio. Heather is eligible for parole in 2098. Lauren is eligible for parole in 2132. Demarcus Smith is housed at the Mansfield Correctional Institute and will be eligible for parole in 21-23. As for Marvelous, he was tried and convicted by a jury of his peers of one count of aggravated burglary and five counts of aggravated murder. On December 10, 1993, almost a year after his killing spree, Marvelous was sentenced to 10 to 25 years in prison for the burglary conviction and death by lethal injection for his murder convictions. Marvelous Keene died by lethal injection on July 21, 2009. The lethal cocktail only took about two minutes to kill him, and once administered, he turned his head to the left and took his last breath. He was officially pronounced dead at 10.36 p.m. Marvelous didn't want anyone present at his execution, not even his family. There were two attorneys from the DA's office present to witness the execution, and nine family members of the victims also attended. There were also about 25 protesters outside the prison, opposing the death penalty. Marvelous Keene was the 1,000th individual to die by lethal injection in the United States since the death penalty was reinstated in 1976. Ohio abolished the death penalty, but reinstated it in 1999, and there have been 31 men executed in Ohio since then. The murders were not only tragic, but senseless. Six innocent people were murdered while another two were injured, and all of them were left traumatized. Families lost their loved ones as a result. Countless lives were affected that Christmas in 1992, and none of those involved will ever be the same again. With that in mind, hug your loved ones tight and always tell them that you love them. Okay, fan club members, as I conclude this episode, my one question to you is, how will you sleep tonight? Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this special holiday bonus episode from the True Crime Fan Club, we have many people to thank. First, this episode was written by Mary Cole, researched in content editing by Brittany Martinez, 
produced by the best in the business, Nico, at We Talk of Dreams. I'm your host, Lainey, and I wanna thank you all for your support. And I wanna thank all of the team behind the scenes, Susie St. John, Haley Gray, Brittany Martinez, Nico at We Talk of Dreams, and Mary Cole. All of you helped make this show possible and I couldn't do it without you. You're the best team in the business and I'm so lucky. Okay, everyone, have a happy holidays. And there's one more episode coming out this year. It'll be our last episode of 2019 and we'll be back in January of 2020.